Hello and welcome to the AV Forums podcast for the 22nd of October 2014. And joining me on this edition are Assistant Editor Steve Withers. Now they will tremble again at the sound of our silence. News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. Central Intelligence Agency. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst Sean Connery. It wasn't ever. supposed to be. This isn't Sean Connery's line. Do you want to end Connery anyway? In a shit Connery. Yeah, go I on. Uh, Central Intelligence Agency. Now there's a contradiction in terms. G- <laughs> <laughs> G- Games editor Mark Buttright. Give me a ping, Vasily. <laughs> An audio reviewer, Ed Selly. Personally, I'd give us one chance in three. <laughs> He had a stroke. <laughs> a very serious. <laughs> I've seen that that face advert. No one's seen him in about four years, so he quite possibly has. Well, uh, welcome back to the podcast. We had uh, last week off. I hope you didn't miss us too much because you had the. You had uh, last week off. <laughs> sorry. You had last week off. Did you record a podcast last week? No, but we yeah, you had the week off then. Right, so uh, we are back. Um, if you did miss us, uh, there was the Games podcast. Uh, Mark was taking part in that. Uh, was it any good, Mark? <laughs> you asked that, that rhetorical question. question. Yeah, rhetorical question. Of course it was. It was fantastic. There you go. So uh, if you want to listen to the Games podcast, uh, go and download that after you, you've listened to this one. Uh, so let's move on swiftly to hardware news. And uh, we're back to putting speakers on the ceiling or on the sidewall. And... Uh, some new stories of more um, Oro 3D as well as Atmos uh, processors from Denon and Marantz. Steve, tell us about this. Yeah, Denon and Marantz, uh, who are part of the same group, DNM group, just to make that clear, um, they've announced that they are going to be releasing an Oro 3D upgrade. Um, I think it's going to be free, actually. It did say in the press release, fee to be determined, but I believe it might be free, actually. But it's going to be not great for their premium receivers, which in this case of Denon is the X5200 and the X4100 and the SR7009 for Marantz. Uh, plus, I think there's also a Marantz processor that will have it as well. And that's going to be released, I believe, in December. Uh, and so basically, you'll have a choice of Atmos or Oro 3D on your Denon or Marantz receiver. I guess it's it's good news in a way because up until now, Oro has only really been supported by extremely high-end equipment. So this is the first sort of mass market product to support Oro. Um, clearly, there's not a lot of Oro product out there, but then again, there isn't a lot of Dolby Atmos app product out there either at the moment. Um, but at least it gives the consumer a choice. Um, and uh, it's, I guess it's a bit of a coup for Denon and Marantz to be the first to do it outside of, say, something like the Twin I'll talk about in a minute, which is, you know, a 20 grand processor. But, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, exactly how it's implemented. Um, I've just got the SR7009 in for review. It came this morning. Um, so I'll be reviewing the Atmos side of that thing, out of that um, over the next week or so, two weeks. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they implement Oro 3D, how it's set up, how Atmos is set up, you know, how you do a room EQ, this kind of stuff in light of the new formats. But uh, certainly it's uh, the first step towards both of them becoming more uh, uh, mass market formats. Nice to see you give yourself plenty of time to get that review done there, Steve. You know, two weeks, yeah. I think that's plenty, isn't it? Yeah, sure we do. Well, you don't want to rush it, do you? It's, it's <laughs> uh, so that's Denim Marantz. Obviously, um, Oro 3D, like I say, it's only been in the high-end processors like the Datasat, um, but there's a new one coming along, a high-end processor called the Altitude 32. Altitude 32, yeah. Uh, 32 channels. Um, uh, it can be up to 32 channels. In fairness, it comes in different sort of you know flavours. There's an 8-channel, a 16-channel, I think it's a 24-channel, and also the full Monty 32-channel. Um, it They did a demo of it l- last week, week before last. 
um, at a, a, a sort of a home install place with a, with a, with a really, really nice uh, custom install home theatre there. Um, these guys actually were the guys that built the um, the cinema at, at Dolby's Soho offices, so they, they really know their stuff, and it was a pretty impressive home cinema. But this um, this processor, it's it's quite different from most, well, certainly all the others, I think. It doesn't use DSP chips. It's entirely, uh, entirely uses an Intel motherboard um, and does all the processing in-house, which means it's relatively easy to upgrade it. If, if a new um, format comes along, rather than having to buy in a new chip, they can just do a firmware update within the... Um, using Intel processor. So in that sense, it's kind of future-proof. Um, it currently supports Atmos. It will be supporting Aura 3D very soon and possibly other formats as well, should they come along. Uh, it, now, that obviously, that's great. Um, the downside is it's, it's, well, even in its cheapest form, it's about 18 grand. But in order to at least have Atmos and Oro and sufficient channels um, to, to do that, you would need to get the 16-channel version at the very least with the Atmos and Oro upgrade. And that's basically going to be 20 grand. If you want the full 32 channels, that's uh, total cost would be 24,000. Uh, and there's an extra 500 quid if you want the silver version as opposed to the matte black one. Although I quite 500 like the matte black quid one. just for the silver? Yeah, 500 quid just to have it <laughs> in the silver version. Um, no, it's high end, no question about that. It's, it's going to be going into <laughs> no big, shit, custom, Sherlock. <laughs> big custom installs. But, you know, if you've got the money, uh, you're doing Well, this, this is going to be getting sold to people who don't know what it is. Yeah, it's a shame. Basically, <laughs> isn't it? It's a real shame. But, you know, <laughs> you, like, like myself, you've been to these installs, uh, you've met the owners. The owners haven't got a clue what it is that they paid for. They just know they paid a lot of money. It looks nice, it sounds good, and they can take a box. I mean, it is an impressive piece of kit. It sounded stunning in the demo that they did. I really was impressed with it. Um, you know, it, it's, it looks gorgeous. It's incredibly flexible in terms of setup, in terms of EQ. The EQ software is stunning. It uses a multi-directional microphone and, and can actually position and pinpoint all the speakers in the room within three-dimensional space when it's doing the EQ. Uh, you, can, you can have separate crossovers and use different channels for different crossovers. I mean, it is really flexible. Um, it's very impressive. It weighs a ton. You know, the back connections are superb. You know, it, it, okay, it is 20 grand, <laughs> but at least you know where the money went. Um, it's got a nice back panel, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that oh, gorgeous back panel, yeah. yeah. Unlike any other piece of home and cinema equipment, it will be on sale on the AV Forums Classifieds in 2019 for 150 quid. Well, maybe not if it can be upgraded. And one well, of the is I've seen, I, if I if I had a pound for every time I'd seen supposedly future-proof pieces of AV equipment, and honestly, how many of them are still actually doing it? None, I think is the honest answer. Well, you know, um, certainly I think it would remain valid for at least the next decade. All right, well, we'll have to see how we get on. I mean, I, I might have, you know, shuffled off this one. But what you can do with it is you can, you can do a full... Um, I saw it in a 7.4.4 configuration, so that's seven channels, normal, seven normal channels plus four subs, one in each corner of the room, and then four overhead speakers. But with this, I think you can do up to something like 10 or 12 overhead speakers if you wanted to, assuming you have the 32-channel version. Oh, your wife's um, so, going to love you. Yeah, you're, you're gonna, you, can, you can really do a full serious Atmos install, or alternatively, you could do um, the Aura <laughs> install. And interestingly, and this is probably important from the point of view of something we're going to talk about in a minute, but what it can do is it can, if you've only got speakers set up for one of those sound formats, you can um, virtually move them um, in, in software in order to create a, an Oro or Atmos setup, depending on how you've got your speaker set up initially. Or alternatively, if you've got 30 channels, you could also do two completely separate setups, one for Atmos and one for Aura, but you're going to have a hell of a lot of speakers in your room. Even if I win £143 million on Tuesday, I can say with some assurance that I won't be going anywhere near it. But, I, I would have to agree on that. Having said that, 
the Denon X5 200 uh, with Atmos and Oro, that looks quite... And so 11 channels of amplification, that's quite saucy. I could, uh, I could see myself going for that. Okay. If I need money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does help. Um, right, so that's 32 channels at 20 grand. Uh, Denon Marantz bringing Oro 3D in at reasonable uh, Well, yeah, the 5200, just for the record, is £1,600, which is not over the top for an 11-channel receiver that does Oro and Atmos. Pretty yeah. good, actually. Okay. So there's not just Atmos and Oro uh, also. Uh, we have DTS who have announced or are about to announce uh, a launch of their similar format. Um, <laughs> the, the one going to sit by the the, uh, the sidelines on this, well, they really um, they had to get involved. Although um, they they were first to market with Neo X, but then again, like DTS, discreet, um, nothing really made of it, and uh, it kind of fell by the wayside. Yeah, only because I think there's only one disc that's ever released that had it in the first place, which was um, the Expendables Two. I think it had an 11.1 DTS Neo X soundtrack. I mean, I guess the problem with DTS Neo X was that, you know, it was a stopgap before we got to where we are now. But it'll be interesting to see what DTS do do. I mean, and this isn't really news except breaking news in the way they've been talking about what they've been previously referring to as multidimensional audio MDA. And I'm sure Mark Hodgkinson can explain why MDA may not be a very good name for a product. Um, <laughs> On the contrary, I think it's a brilliant name for a product. I, I just like it if they actually admitted that they weren't going to actually have supply any additional programming, uh, processing or speakers, but you were just going to receive a, a special tablet through the post every time you wanted to watch a film. And it would be fantastic. It would make it a very, uh, certainly make it a more immersive experience, wouldn't it? Yeah, no, no clutter. I, I felt the sudden urge to give everyone in the room a hug. <laughs> Anyway, so they're not going to call it that now, apparently, um, for whatever reason. Um, it's going to, I think, I believe, and it's obviously we're waiting for confirmation in uh, probably at CES, I suspect, Phil, but um, it's going to be UHD, DTS UHD, which is going to really confuse the consumer. Actually, isn't it? Actually, we try? actually, that might be quite clever on DTS's part. You reckon they'll um, just jump on the bandwagon of. Yeah, I think I, I think that's the reasoning behind it. You know, if if you wanted to try and get some consumer awareness, and UHDs being uh, touted around on TVs, so yeah, I think they, they might actually be quite clever with that one. I'd go with crack sound. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, the in, I guess the in, I mean, as I said, it's not exactly new. I've been talking about this for about a year and a half now, so it's not new. But what is, I suspect, hopefully going to be news is they will be launching it officially uh, at CES in January. Um, and I guess what we want to know is, and I, I've have, I have researched on the internet, I couldn't find any real information about exactly how the speakers are meant to be set up, how it's going to be delivered. Um, so that's that will be interesting. Clearly, yeah, it's got of, quite a flexible speaker configuration, hasn't it? Well, let's hope it has, because um, you know you, what you ideally want is you don't want yeah. the current situation where you have two formats or three formats all using completely different speaker configurations. Well, you see, this is where we're going because you got Atmos, which is on the ceiling, you got Oro, which is thirty degrees above here. Um, so there you go, you got two different approaches already, um, yeah. and we don't know what DTS's MDA uh, setups, sorry, UHD setups, going to be. Maybe the MDA is for the partner. Maybe you give the partner the pill. <laughs> So you can then start fitting the speakers in the room. I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah, it will be interesting to see what they do because obviously that could, because at the moment, um, you know, if you buy a Blu-ray, if you went through your Blu-ray collection, I reckon collection, 90, or collection, Blu-ray collection, I reckon ninety percent of them will be DTS HD Master Audio soundtracks. Yeah, the only studio I know that regularly uses or almost exclusively uses um, Dolby True HD is Paramount, mm -hmm. and that's 
so it's no coincidence that it's a Paramount movie. There's, a, there's the first Atmos disc, which mm-hmm. is um, Transformers. Um, I, I, so, you know, if studios aren't using Dolby True HD, there's not necessarily going to be much room for Atmos to really get into the marketplace, where DTS do have a monopoly at the moment, or almost, almost a monopoly. Um, and therefore, it might be a lot easier for them to get their format out on discs better, quicker and in, in larger numbers than, than Dolby can. And yeah. ultimately, it comes down to content, right? If you haven't got enough discs, it's not worth upgrading. And of course, you know, Oro's technology is uh, agnostic. So, Indeed, you know, yeah. So they, they could steal a march as well um, on what's going on. But I think the main thing is, where do you put the speakers after you've managed to get permission um, to put the extra speakers in the room from your partner? Um, where do you put Sorry. them? Who, who do you set up for... Um, do you go with Dolby? Do you go with Oro? Do you go with DTS? We don't know what DTS's system is yet. Um, do we bother? <laughs> I think is the main question. Well, I, I called it an audio format war, and some people had a go at me about that. So it was not a format war, because like, you've always had DTS and Dolby. Yeah, but DTS and Dolby up until now have had exactly the same speaker configurations. So it's easy to go from one to the other. There's no difference. But as you just pointed out, Phil, if you're looking between, comparing DTS, or sorry, not DTS, Dolby Atmos to um, Oro 3D, they have totally different yeah. speaker configurations yeah, totally um just, so we just explain to the reader listeners what the speaker configurations are in terms of atmos you've got a number of choices but basically you can either have a five point but the way they call it is 5.1.2 so that's five normal surround speakers you know front left and right center and rear left and right point one is the sub and then point two is two overhead speakers you can so, also so the middle point, the middle number is always the sun numbers of subwoofers yeah and the last and the last two last number is going to be how many overhead speakers you have so uh, point two would be two overheads so you could have 5.1.4 with four overheads this is the kind of configurations you're going to get on most of the receivers there are obviously things like the trinov where you could go way beyond that but generally with a receiver you're gonna you're gonna have like a 5.1.4 or maybe a 7.1.4 so the <laughs> the, the the denon the denon um, 5200 that's got 11 channels so you could do 7.1.4 so you'd have seven surround channels you need usual seven channels basically plus um the sub and then the four overhead speakers or turn to be four upward firing speakers i can that's see dull. i can see uh mark hodgkinson's ears pricking up here um Formations, Mark. You can start playing formations with your surround speakers. So you can have four, four, two, yeah. five, four, one. I prefer a three, four, three, but it's not going to work. <laughs> um, whereas Oro, that has various configurations as well. But the basic one is to have additional height speakers over where you have your front left and right and rear left and right speakers. So basically, that's a nine point one system. You can also have, um, you could have um, a overhead speaker above, um, sorry, a height speaker rather above the center speaker. So you could have a 10.1. Then there's the voice of God channel, which is a single overhead speaker directly above above the listener, which would be, um, make that 11.1. And I guess if you went the full Monty, you could have, I think they do a 13.1, which would be a normal seven channel configuration with four height speakers and one overhead. But as you can see, it's pretty confusing. And more importantly, Atmos and Oro, completely different. Uh, so what that means is, uh, you know, it, it, there is a degree of choice here. You aren't going to be able to just have both. I mean, unless, and I mean, obviously with the Trinov, as I mentioned uh, earlier, there are, there is software in there where it can, you know, say you had an Atmos set up, it would be able to virtually move speakers, you know, so to create the effect that they were where they're meant to be for um, Oro. How effective that is, I don't know, but it, they claim they can do that. Um, now, whether that would be available in lower priced AV receivers, I don't know, and whether even if it was, whether it would actually work or not, it's another issue entirely. So you, you, there is a degree here where, of, of, you know, if you're going to go with one or the other, 
or, or I think logically sit on the fence, see which one wins out. Um, you know, and if, as you said a minute ago, DTS has got a different configuration as well, that could really put the, you know, and the spanner in the works in terms of um, what people do. So, I mean, I can see a lot of people fence sitting here and thinking, I, well. I can see all these formats falling flat on their face. Genuinely, that's what I think. It's the, falling down in your head. Yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> how good they are, how convincing the experience. The the elephant in the room is the room. Which room you're going to use? If it's a living room, forget it. Even with the upward firing speakers, um, you're still adding more speakers to the room. And anybody that has a partner, um, or or even that's single and has a little bit of pride <laughs> in <laughs> how the how the house looks, is not going to go with these extra speakers in a in a custom install where these speakers could be hidden behind acoustical panels and all the rest it, within the design of the room it will work it's where Trinov will make their money even if they you know they sell 10 or 20 a year at 20 grand they're, they're, they're making a nice markup there the, the installers making a nice markup there the end users getting something a bit special um, it'll work in, a, in in the commercial theaters because you know it doesn't matter about the aesthetics and in the home, I'm sorry, but I am yet to be convinced that any of these formats will succeed. I'd love to disagree with you, but I can't. Um, I think if any of these formats decides to be willfully different from the others, that's just lunacy. I mean, proper lunacy. Um, I, 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 you know, I suppose you can sort of see what what DTS might be gunning for, in so much as they already have such a significant share of the, the Blu-ray market through master HD and they might, but I, I don't know. It just strikes me as her- just, you know, a way of taking an already very tiny percentage of the market and shredding it to a size where it literally makes nobody any money at all. But, you know, well, I mean, it's, it's the, it's one of the fastest dying areas of the AV market is the AV receiver. Um, yes. it has been like that for a number of years. And, um, I almost feel sorry for the AV receiver manufacturers who are trying their damnedest to big up the whole Atmos and Aura 3D thing. I just think that it, it's it's not the move that they should have made if they want to improve sales and if they want the, this to succeed because it won't. Not in the home environment. Um, adding more speakers is not the answer. I think it may have done better, or it might do better, would have done better perhaps, <laughs> it's the right word, um, if we had one format universally supported by the studios, you know, on, on Blu-rays, for example. So if all Blu-rays were DTS and there was a DTS more immersive format available, that might sell. But I think people hate you know, confusion and having three different formats is just going to get really confuse the consumer. The few consumers that care, and that's not going to be that many as you just pointed out, Phil. Yep. Even amongst enthusiasts, I think there'll be a lot of fence sitting and waiting to see. And eventually, I think one of them will win by default, basically. The other two will, won't, get, won't get supported. It's going to come and, down to content. Yeah. Uh, the, the one that wins out in the content battle will be the one. And I think that's going to be DTS, just on the fact of um, the vast majority of studios use DTS. Um, yeah. And and that's just the way it is. And Oro might succeed um, if they can get studio support because they are system agnostic like we said so um but again we don't know what the dts setup is so it's it's just too confusing there's too much going on there's too much willy waving as we would call it and um not a lot of thought actually going into how this is going to work for the consumer and that's what scares me and i think 
well, I just can't see it succeeding. I did see, actually uh, see an interview with a guy from, um, from DTS, I can't remember his name now, but um, he said he, he's, they seem to be positioning themselves behind the scenes in terms of the production. He said the um, DTS uh, MDA tools could be used to produce Atmos as well, so I don't know whether that will give them another advantage. Well, definitely the DTS one is an, is an object-based system as well, so there seems to be some similarities there, but I mean, there's no well, level between DTS and Dolby, is it? To make it to, to make Atmos as well, the production tools. So, yeah, it looks like they're positioning themselves better than... Uh, than um, Atmos. It, as Phil says, it's the room that kind of dictates what you can do. People can try out 7.1, you can go back to 5.1, you can, you know, pop in some speakers quickly and, and just see if you've got some old speaker cable lying about. You can't do that with anything rigged up to your ceiling. You just can't. It, you've got to commit to it fully and just I don't think I don't think people are going to go for it. The only way it's going to succeed is if a speaker manufacturer really thinks out of the box. Um, Literally. Yeah, they've got to think about, uh, you know, I'm not joking on this, they've got to think about doing something crazy like tapping the power from a light fitting and then wirelessly sending it or something like that. That's the, the, just the number of people that are going to install this is the square root of sod all. So you've got to think, outside. Uh, I hate the phrase outside the box, but you can't just approach this like a normal... Outside the cabinet. <laughs> you've, I mean, it's interesting. I was... I, um, I was speaking to uh, the chap who does the PR for Ellipson uh, a little while back because uh, there's another product that he represents which we'll be going through for review. But um, essentially Ellipson are sort of looking, you know, in, as speaker manufacturers go, they, they should be kind of enthusiastic about this. They've got wall mounts, ceiling mounts, suspended ceiling mounts. They've got, they have all the mounting options you could possibly imagine, and they're still looking at this like 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 a starving person given a piece of wax fruit. It's just so difficult to envisage how you're going to persuade normal people who take some pride in the decor and finish of their lounge to start chopping it up and putting speakers where previously there have been none. And you know, when a manufacturer which has got options already is looking at it and going. We're not quite sure how this is going to work. I have no idea what more conventional box loudspeaker manufacturers are going to do. Um, whether Onkyo's upward firing job represents the only sensible stopgap, I don't know. But uh, you, you've had a demo of it, Steve, haven't you? Um, did it yes. work? Yes. It was right. quite impressive, well, actually. Surprisingly so. That's that's part. That's the only other possibility. So the idea is that we have height speakers or present speakers or whatever, but then they're not actually at elevation. <laughs> so slightly anticlimactic, I guess. I think that uh, it, it, it. I think Yamaha are quite weird on this one because I think they desperately want it to work because they've got. 10 years of experience of height channels and i think they mm. want to sort of demonstrate quantifiable superiority here but um all i would say is i don't want to sort of spoil the flavor of the review it'll be out reasonably soon um i promise not not right at the end of the month i haven't got time for that actually this time um it does look like they're hedging their bets though and but they're hedging their bets in a good way because i've been living with this 30 40 for quite a bit now and all of the other smart receiver features where I've had other products come through for review and they've promised to do the same thing, but there's always been some sort of catch or 
some reason why it doesn't work as planned. I will say that absolutely all of the secondary features that have been stacked onto receivers over the last sort of four to five years, this is the first one I've had where absolutely all of them work and work as the manufacturer claims they're going to work. So at the very least, they've sort of been hedging their bets and making sure that even if you can't be asked to stick speakers on the ceiling, everything else is pretty good. So uh, that's an upcoming review, Ed. Um, I think we've we've now done this subject to death. I think it's time for the forum members to tell us what they think. Um, are they going to buy into Oro 3D, Atmos, DTS, UHD, MDA, um, whatever they're going to call it, however they're going to place it out? Are you going to do it? Are you going to add extra speakers? And do you think uh, the end results are going to be worth the pain? Uh, are they going to be worth the arguments with the other half? Um, how is it going to work out, or or is it going to fail? Um, and if I was a betting man, um, I'd I'd be putting money on uh, abject failure for for this. I think they're they're looking in the wrong direction when it comes to uh, the AVR and and how to make it more popular. Um, so, what's your thoughts? Put it in the podcast forum underneath this podcast. And uh, just to wrap up on the hardware section, uh, Ed did allude to a review that he's got coming up. Uh, anything else, Ed? Yeah, I've finished writing and hopefully it will certainly it will be available to Steve to stick up by the time the podcast comes out if he chooses to. Um, I've talked at length about it before. So but finally, the review of the Noble Kaiser K10 earphone uh, for a thousand pounds. That'll be good to go. Um, and then there are two others that will will join uh, over the course of the month. <laughs> Maybe eight or nine minutes before the end of it. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Okay. Uh, so, Steve, what else have uh, you got coming this month in terms of uh, equipment? I've got um, Cambridge Audio's Minx Go wireless speaker, which is a little portable uh, rechargeable wireless speaker. Presumably you mean the G2. Right, yes, we've already yes. Done, yeah, this is, yeah. This so, okay, is the Go. latest version of the Go, which looks identical to the previous version, in all fairness, Ed. <laughs> This is true, but I think as you've already reviewed the go, they just make one just pointing out to people that you don't have some sort of brain disease. <laughs> yes, you've actually yes, chosen something new to do. Of the little wireless speaker, and is it just as good as the one before? Oh, <laughs> um, and um, and Optoma's GT1080, which is um, relatively cheap. Um, 1080. 80p projector, yeah, clue is definitely in the name on that one, and uh, aimed as the G might suggest at the gaming, uh, the gamer. So um, that's um, and you review. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've got a games console. Yeah, he's got a PS4, you know. Mm. Yeah, he's now a gamer. <laughs> I've always had a PS3. <laughs> yeah, but did you use it for first game? level kill zone yet? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I've been mucking about with all the free games you get on um, uh, PSN. So. Right, and to, to wrap things up, Mark, what have you got coming? Uh, currently doing the, uh, well, what we're probably calling mid-range 4K TV from Panasonic, AX630, which is actually pretty good. Uh, I've got the EE TV box coming in uh, this week at some point, which is uh, the, a go at the TV market for uh, for broadband and phone subscribers. Um, does four, four rec- records four at once off Freeview, so that should be interesting. We can find four decent things to watch off there. Uh, and I've got a little portable speaker from Philips, similar to the uh, Cambridge thing. Excellent. So uh, that's the upcoming reviews, and that is the hardware. Have we got anything for games? Cue that sound of um, wind, <laughs> Phil. Well, I could do about the Google Nexus player. Okay, on you go. 
Oh right, that that was that was my intro, was it? Yeah, that's your intro. Go on. All right, <laughs> fair enough. You spoil me. <laughs> um, yeah, Google uh, have announced their Nexus Player. So this is kind of carrying on from you know they've had huge success with uh, uh, Chromecasting and obviously smartphones, um, and so they're kind of trying to tie everything together. Hot on the heels of Amazon's Fire TV, it's going to be ninety nine dollars. The same out uh, in the US on November the third. Uh, a little hiccup with pre-orders because it wasn't, didn't appear to be approved by the FCC at the time. But uh, looks like it's still still on course for for early November. Um, yeah, basically, it, they're kind of trying to add gaming into things. Um, so you've got a, a dedicated um, control pad which you can buy separately, but it'll come with a mini remote with a mic for voice control. Um, Intel Atom uh, CPU, only eight gigabytes of storage. Now it doesn't look like it's going to be expandable, which might be a bit of a problem because if I mean, if you consider what smartphones have these days, and the fact that certain titles on the Google Play Store can be, you know, the more sophisticated titles can be around a gig, that could fill up, you know, pretty quickly. Um, but obviously, you know, the big selling point about this is going to be trying to. Uh, get people to use the baked-in search and recommendation system, Google's algorithm, and as they've said recently, that they see Amazon as their main competitor rather than Microsoft. Um, they're obviously wanting to try to try to make inroads into that that idea of one kind of Android set-top box that will do everything rather than what we've got at the moment, which is so fragmented. And given that Google have you know kind of more money than the average country. They're perhaps one of the few companies that might actually be able to to bring that dream to to reality. I've got to say, on a slightly ungames related note, the Nexus Six phone specs. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been looking at those. They look quite something. That's a, a very. They nice usually looking... put their yeah their smartphones out for considering the the specs for very good prices, don't they? Well, this is interesting because the, the it looks all signs point to the Nexus Six actually being it'll still be cheaper than an iPhone. Although that said, so are a number of cars and you know houses in Hull and things like that. But um, it's still it's actually going to be a, quite a bit more expensive than the Nexus Five. But um, it takes some of the features from that um, Motorola. Google phone that we didn't get in the UK and then it's just sort of then Nexus it up but it I mean I, I've got a, a Nexus 5 and it's a fairly prosaic looking thing it goes goes like the clappers it's a good phone but this is a much more premium looking device and I'm sort of looking at it with a, a well right up until this morning when I received an enormous and angry invoice from the student loans company I was quite quite keen on the idea of getting <laughs> one <laughs> so yeah Anyway, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Ed. You're welcome. Back on topic. Well, I didn't know if, if perhaps Hodge had any views on this. Given that he's... I do like a little black box. Uh, it just seems to be a bit of a, <laughs> of a, of a lack of apps uh, it's got at the moment, considering it is Google. And, and, and my experiences with Android TV when I reviewed, it was a Sony thing, I think it was. Yes, it was. Um, was There was a real lack of, of, of um, support for Android TV. So, I mean, obviously, things it's all very well having... Uh, t- loads of tablet and phone apps, but if they don't work on the big screen, then you know it's hardly ideal. And, and looking at what's they're coming out with, it, I, I'm surprised at, at the lack of apps that it's got. So if you compared it to something like the Rocky, which is absolutely transit, um, of course you're looking at it from a gaming perspective. It's obviously it's going right up against the Fire TV. Uh, almost like the controller looks almost identical, doesn't it? Um, I don't know. It, it'll all come down to the number of apps it's got for me. Um, 
and there's no mention of a UK release yet and we, we seem to get neglected a lot and, and content deals are notoriously tricky in Europe and in the UK so we'll have to see what support it gets when it gets I'm, 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 I'm interested but I'm cautiously interested at this point yeah I mean if it, if it ends up as straight dollars to pounds kind of you know conversion then if it was anywhere around the hundred pound mark and then you had to buy a separate controller with it then you're in kind of PS3 360 territory and you know yeah, it, it, what you are you for that for 100 because the controller's about 40 dollars isn't it so it's going to be yeah 40 quid over there so 140 quid yeah you might be better just getting a proper console which will have more you know video streaming apps anyway at launch anyway yeah so the verdict is meh maybe <laughs> maybe that i mean that it's it's a nice looking little kind of um box they've put it in it's it's a kind of it's a round design, so it looks like one of those little robot hoovers. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> and that's that's my in-depth analysis. <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, obviously, the games podcast uh, is out at the moment. Is is it worthwhile people downloading? Of course, it is. Um, yeah, we we touch on um, Ubisoft and locking games at thirty frames a second. Um, Microsoft's Room Alive. Um, we reminisce a little bit about peripherals of yesteryear um steve spent a little bit of time with alien isolation before we got to record the potty and uh what's going on with destiny and what is going on with destiny um some people like it some people hate it some people like me are getting very bored very very quickly and think that we'll probably trade it in quickly i quite like the look of alien isolation that looks like it'd be a really good game yeah yeah it's getting visually at least it looks they beautifully recreated the look of the original alien movie yeah, well, they they seem to have taken this this view, which is kind of the environment can tell the story as well as you know kind of any cutscene or anything like that, and it's it's a you know it's an an approach that's been slowly growing in gaming, where you know fewer cutscenes and more trying to tell a story through just you know the places that you walk through, how the atmosphere affects you, and that kind of thing. And it's yeah, it's supposed to be very scary though, and that's why I shall be a total wuss and not be playing it. <laughs> I like you your massive one. girl's blouse. <laughs> I, I still get... I, I went back and played on an old PlayStation, uh, the original Resident Evil, and I still jump when the dogs fly through the window. Pussy. So, <laughs> yeah, fine. I, I'm absolutely fine with that. I've come to terms with it. And is that the games news? That is games news. Right, so uh, moving on to movie news, and Steve, what's at the cinema? No, I didn't go. Um, there was nothing <laughs> remotely interesting on <laughs> this week. It was really, I mean, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, couldn't care less, so um, I decided to um, vote with my feet and not to go to the cinema. There was a film I wanted to see, an Aussie horror film, but it wasn't showing any uh, any cinemas near me, so. You weren't interested in Turtles? No, not remotely. I, or the Maze I, I... Runner. I've got to or be the honest, judge. The, um, the, tur- the turtles one. It looks. I don't know who it's pitched at. It looks too dark for kids who love teenage mutant ninja turtles. And uh, you know, as a thirty-three-year-old man, I'm not going anywhere near it because, well, I'm not. I, I don't think I'm the. Ta- I don't know who the target audience is. I'm. I'm. I'm baffled by it. But I'm baffled by a lot of things these days. Yeah, let's not let's not go there. That, that could be another hour. My wife went to see Maze Runner. She said it was a bit disappointing. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I mean, I'm sick of all these adult, young adult. It's not just that. that it's a, yet another film set up for there to be like three or four of them. Yeah, Steve. Yeah. As a movie reviewer, you just don't go, you don't just go to the movies you're gonna like. 
<laughs> you got to think. I've got enough shit this year to last a lifetime. Come on. <laughs> But you're supposed to sit through this shit so we don't have to. No, yeah. but sometimes you just think, well, I, I, it's not worth the grief. Well, next week, Fury's out, which I'm quite looking forward to. Um, David Ayer's film with Tom, with Brad Pitt, um, you know, when they, um, based on a single day, I think, towards the end of World War II, and it's about tankery, and it looks quite good. So I'm, I'm going to see that. And then the week after, it's Interstellar, the new Christopher Nolan movie, which I'm really, really looking forward to. So, so there's some good stuff coming up. Just as a brilliant aside, Milton Keynes Cineworld uh, was initially listing uh, Fury uh, showings when they do when they go uh, as furry, which I thought was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) This is the same place that had the uh, mums and kids screening of of, um, Labor Day, isn't it? Yes, yeah, they're just on on fire. Uh, right, so uh, let's look forward to some Blu-rays then. Uh, Steve, coming out next week, we've got Godzilla and uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, uh, Once Upon a Time in America, and um, some rubbish called With Neil and I. Yeah. I mean, Godzilla, I saw it at cinema, um, it's had really good reviews, actually. Uh, I've got to say, I thought not enough Godzilla, and frankly, it's a bit silly. Um, although it was trying to be quite serious, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a giant monster, and there's no getting around that fact. Um I, I I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was as good as some people are saying it is. Uh, I know it has had some quite impressive reviews, and, and some people have even talked about maybe one of the top ten films of the year, which is ludicrous in my opinion. It's well made, and it's got some really nice scenes in it. But um, yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I'm sure it'll be a great disc. I'm sure it'll, it'll look gorgeous, and it'll sound fantastic. I mean, the sound's going to be incredible on it. Um, but I just found it to be a bit boring, and I didn't care about the human characters, and there wasn't enough Godzilla and monster action for my money, considering that's what you're paying to see, and the film's called it. Um, Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. Uh, I sadly did sit through this piece of shit, Phil. So you can't say I didn't. I've avoided all the rubbish films this year. <laughs> it's awful. Don't buy it unless you, you know, I don't know. You just want to spite somebody. Um, no, no, no. Don't. Do, even if you want to spite someone, just don't give any further money to this franchise. Stop encouraging them. They'll make more. Is, uh, did it do well at the box office? I don't really know. No, I don't think it did. Not. No. God, good. good. Uh, once upon once upon a time in america uh this is the director's cut so this um originally when it was first released back in 1984 it was Sergio Leone's last film unfortunately he died five years later um he uh, originally wanted it to be uh, well he was originally talking about doing it as a two-part two movies so two three-hour movies which probably would have gone down quite well these days but back then no chance so he managed to cut it down to, to about 215 minutes but in the states it was a cut down even further um but there was always this rumoured longer cut, this, uh, which he, I think, screened at Cannes. And this is basically that cut. They kind of pieced it back together again. The quality of some of the new footage isn't as good as the overall, um, as the you know, the normal theatrical version. But this is a 251-minute version. So we're talking about four hours and 11 minutes. Um, I, I've got the co- I've got this disc, but haven't had a chance to watch it yet because it's four hours and 11 minutes long. Uh, Kaz has done his review, which went up at the weekend. Um, I think if you're a fan of this movie, you'll love to watch I mean, it basically just... Uh, adds character beats here and there and expands certain scenes. But, you know, if you love the film, then you'll enjoy watching the longer cut. If you're not a fan, you know, four hours and ten minutes is already, it was already pretty long to begin with. But uh, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's one of the great gangster films of all time. And um, certainly, if you're a fan, you'll already already know that. So um, pick it up. Um, The UK version is uh, just the new extended cut. The US version you can buy as a two disc set with the original theatrical cut as well. Um, but in my opinion, I love Sergio Leone. He only made it seven movies, so you know it's worth seeing. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend it. If you have seen it, you know it's worth getting um, the longer cut just out of curiosity. Uh, 
And then finally, With Nail and I, uh, which I'm sure Mark Hodgkinson will back me up as one of the funniest films ever made. If not the uh, funniest film ever yeah, made. Certainly the most quotable film of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's coming out in a box set next week. Um, I've got mine on order. I know Mark's got his on order. I've got mine on order. Um, yeah, have you? I have. Yeah, and uh, it's looking pretty good. It's, it's got a, two, a new 2K restoration of the film from the original camera negative, supervised director of, by the director of photography. It's also got Bruce Robinson's follow-up feature, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, also completely restored from the original camera negative. Um, both of those available uh, um, on Blu-ray in the same package, which is quite nice. It's got an audio commentary on with Down Line by director-writer Bruce Robinson. It's also an audio commentary by um, critic and writer Kevin, Jacob, Kevin Jackson, who authored the uh, BFI modern classic book on it, on, on the film with Down Line. There are the four original documentaries that were screened on Channel 4 back in 1999. There's some new interviews uh, with behind-the-scenes crew from with Down Line. Um, there's a, a hardback book that comes with it, um, theatrical trailers. I mean, basically, it's a pretty nice package for, I think it's 30... 39 quid on Amazon. 50 quid, basically 40 quid, yeah. Um, it looks like, if you're a fan of With No and I, this is like the package to get. And seriously, if you haven't seen With No and I, watch it. It is side-splittingly funny. Well, I haven't seen it. Well, I'm going to post you my old Blu-ray film, so you will get a chance to watch it. Soon. That's not the greatest quality, is it, the transfer, that one? No, but I mean, it's, it's, the gags are still there, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. the jokes. Um, so yes, if, if you have, if you're a fan, I'm sure you've already got this on order. And if you haven't seen it, I strongly recommend you do. It's brilliant. I think you've probably overhyped that now. <laughs> I, maybe slightly <laughs> sold that one, yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, there's a lot of uh, strange people out there who, um, <laughs> and I've been guilty of this in the past, and I think everybody here has been guilty um, of this in the past. Uh, we've gone out and bought Blu-rays or DVDs uh, just for the picture and sound, even though the movie is rubbish. Is that true or false? Am, am I talking rubbish, or is, is that a common thing for home cinema enthusiasts? I think particularly in the early days of HD and Blu-rays and HD DVD, then, yeah, you were just buying it just to test out your, your TV or your projector or, or your system. Um, yeah, I bought some. I can't, I, early on, I've, I try, I've, I've got rid of most of them now. I'm not a person that really buys movies a lot. I used to rent. Um, I'm, I'm a watch once kind of guy, generally. So you were a rent boy? I'm a rent boy. Confirmed and proud. But yeah, things like King Kong and, uh, and Avatar, I suppose, you know, just, you're just buying it. That was 3D more than just pure HD. But yeah, just kind of buying stuff for the sake of it. Uh, that's two that stand out for me. Although I didn't I buy it, so I did it. <laughs> it was more of a problem with um, DVDs for me. When I was doing more, more test work than I do now, and you had to test all of the formats that a receiver was technically able to handle. Mm. So, I mean, I've got Final Destination 3, um, I think, because it was it was a, the only thing I could find to hand at, at, at the time, which was um, had a DTS ES 6.1 soundtrack yep. on it. Uh, and to this day, I've only watched about the, I've only ever watched the first roller coaster scene. And so all I've ever needed to do is like, yeah, it works, and then just put it back, in, <laughs> put it back in the wallet. Uh, there was a time where um, I bought loads of stuff from Japan. I, I, I think Botright might might have done this as well because you're a fan of Asian cinema. So I don't know if you bought your DVDs through CDware, but I used to spend a fortune. Um, buying stuff like Armageddon and DTS because it was the only version available in DTS. <laughs> I don't particularly like the film, but it was it was the disc to have because it was the only one that had the DTS soundtrack. I mean, DTS nowadays, like we were saying earlier on, is is on every Blu-ray or almost every Blu-ray. But back then, Dolby ruled the roost, and getting your hands on DTS laser discs or DTS, you know, DVDs. 
Um, sometimes it was the Holy Grail going out and trying to get. I mean, I remember the fuss about Jurassic Park coming out in DTS on DVD and. Um, on the, Laserdisc, even. <laughs> or, yeah, on Laserdisc and then on, on DVD with, with a DTS soundtrack. It used to be the big thing, oh, got off the DTS soundtrack because it's a higher bit rate and all the rest of it. And you'd buy some shit, you really would. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Uh, no, you guys. I was gu- guilty of sin for buying shit, buying shit on Laserdisc to watch because it's going to look and sound good, and buying shit on DVD. Sometimes the same shit, too, which is even worse. <laughs> um, then on HD DVD. And then on Blu-ray, I mean, I've got all four Transformers films on Blu-ray now, and there's no excuse for that other than <laughs> I don't even like them. I hate them. Yeah. I, 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 the first Transformers, actually, it's not true. The first Transformers film wasn't that bad. I quite enjoyed it. It was okay. Um, and, and I thought, well, the disc would be nice, you know, looking sound good, which it does. I, and I, for some strange reason, even though I'd seen it at the cinema and hated it, I bought Revenge of the Fallen um, on disc. Again, I think that was because it would look and sound good. And I, was, I walked out of the cinema during um, Dark of the Moon, um, but ended up buying the disc because I wanted the 3D, 3D Blu-ray. <laughs> you know, I, I sat through the whole of the fourth one because I was reviewing it earlier in the summer, and, and now I've got to buy that bastard too because it's got the Atmos soundtrack on it. <laughs> no, you, it's not you can. Fair. Uh, there are other Atmos releases now. There's like a step up. Yeah, film, which yeah, I'm thanks. Sure... That's really. Yeah. Expendables three. Get, get I'll, I'll get that disc. I'll get Expendables three because a I haven't seen it and b. I have the two other Expendables films, yeah. uh, and it's going to have an Atmos soundtrack, so it'll save me from having to watch too much of um, Transformers. But yeah, I do kind of feel slightly, sh- I'm very ashamed that I own all four Transformers movies on Blu ray, even though I genuinely hate them. And you didn't go and see Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do you know what? I've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the previous film they did, um, which was all CG animation. Um, on HD DVD. And you know what? I've got that. My bloody girlfriend told me, oh, it's really good. You should buy it. But I found out afterwards she was actually promoting that film anyway and doing the merchandising rights for it in Asia. Which <laughs> <laughs> she neglected to mention to me at the time. <laughs> actually, I remember. Do you remember the, was it the was it early 90s one with the uh, Snap tune as the, uh, as the main theme piece? I think I've got that on seven inch vinyl somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, well, you were like six at the time, though, Mark. You put with the target audience. Yeah, um, I was, and uh, unlike the current film, where I have no idea again who the target audience is. Um, uh, from obviously from an audio perspective, I've got different. I mean, I, I don't generally buy Blu-rays now unless I physically want to watch the film. I have enough test material to be going on with. I'm not rushing into Atmos installation, so I'm good with that. I'll probably pick up um, Edge of Tomorrow because I quite like the idea of watching that. Um, it's really good. Good, excellent. I like Emily Blunt as well. But um, more, I mean, more recently, uh, during the early phases of testing UPnP streamers, just getting your hands on high resolution music, any high resolution music, means that you you'd end up with some absolute horrors, um, just because there's there was so little to choose from. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've got. Another, I, I, I mean, I've got Fleetwood Mac, Fleetwood Mac's rumors on vinyl. I've got an HD CD copy of it, um, which I paid an embarrassing sum of money for some time ago, and uh, yeah, I've got the ninety-six K high res version of it as well. Because uh, in, in terms of, in terms of being able to test material with something where you had at least the vaguest understanding of what it was supposed to sound like. Um, yeah, you couldn't be too picky. Uh, I, I have the vaguest understanding of what it sounds like. I just don't like it that much, but I own three copies of it. Mm. So, 
you know, different problems. But um, I will say things have got a lot better, though, because uh, the new Aphex Twin album, which actually, by the standards of Aphex Twin, is quite it's quite easy to get into. It's not the sort of challenging listen of some of his earlier works. You can buy that easy as you like. It's not of desperately high. It's only 24, 44.1, but you can buy a nice high-resolution copy, download it completely legit in the UK for 11 quid, which I think is pretty reasonable, really. That's the, that's the sort of thing that actually might encourage people to pay a bit more attention to it. And have you bought shit on vinyl? I've bought some more shit on vinyl since we last spoke, but that's... Uh, <laughs> ironically, at the moment, I can't use my turntable. Um, as anyone that's seen my Facebook, uh, I bought this enormous new testing AV rack, which <laughs> yes, is splendid. <laughs> it's really good. I love it. It's it's one of the more sensible things I've purchased. But um, at the moment, I haven't got around to getting the telly up on the wall, and the turntable's on the top, and the telly is on the top shelf on its IKEA plastic box. And you can't open the lid of the turntable without fouling the television. So until the television's up on the wall, which for which there is still no confirmed date, I've just got a stack of vinyl that I've yet to listen to. And I'm it's slightly embarrassed to say that I think it's got 25 or 30 pieces in it. So there'll be a lot of, work, <laughs> a lot of listening to do when I finally get the turntable up and running. Um, I think the whole idea of, of buying any medium, be it audio, be it video, be it whatever, just, just for the quality of it, thankfully... Although there are, there's always brand new areas which are an exception to the rule, so Atmos and ultra-high-resolution audio, things like that, um, where at the moment there's just still not that much content, so you can't be that picky. Across any other remotely mainstream aspects of listening, you thankfully have enough choice that you, you don't have to just buy the only available thing. You can now buy... Um, you can just buy the, the, something something that you actually want to watch or or listen to, and it isn't the problem that it once was. I mean, I I remember, yeah. I mean, I remember when the, the period that Phil was talking about. You know, oh gosh, you can buy the Japanese version of Total Recall, which has got a DTS soundtrack, and yeah, it became the de facto one that you wanted to own. But you know, although I'm sure that. There is still a as you well as you said with the Sergio Leone film. There's a degree of variation between um, the American release and, and the British release. Uh, it's not necessarily the sort of differences which are going to get you, you know, crawling over broken glass to get the US version. So you just go with the one that best suits you. I think uh, the last time um, we had anything similar to to that on DVD was was HD DVD Blu-ray. When that was all going on, I think it was um, there's a bit of oh you have to have that because it's on HD DVD and uh, you know you were buying again buying stuff that they weren't great films, but you were buying them because they were on the format and you were trying to f- support the format. And um, do you think we will see the same uh, if we get 4K Blu-ray and Steve the the only film released on it is uh, Mrs Brown's Boys the movie. <laughs> <laughs> 4K, 4K with an Atmos soundtrack. You're gonna buy it, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> well, I think I might have to draw the line at that. But um, yeah, you know it's gonna be Transformers, isn't it? <laughs> 4K Blu-ray of Transformers: Revenge of the Fallen, and I'm gonna to have to sit through that. Um, but you, you know, there are times. To, to be fair, though, I mean, sometimes you just want, if you're sample, if you're a reviewer, then having films with 
that are known for having particularly good pitch or sorry, Blu-ray to have particularly good pitch or sound quality clearly is handy for doing reviews with. And everyone likes to show the system to their friends when they come around. And sometimes, you know, you have a disc where you want to show, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. I know you use a couple of scenes from um, King Kong um, in your testing, but you know, there's, there's always, I mean, everyone used to, you remember there was that time when everyone used to show the scene when Lilu jumps off of the ledge on yeah. the fifth element. Yeah. That was like the de facto demo scene to show your friends when they came around. Yeah. To be honest, that doesn't happen to me anymore. Anyone that walks into my lounge goes, oh my God, is that a record player? And then, yeah, the rest of it is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> but I've, owned, I've owned The Fifth Element quite a few times, and it's a shit film. <laughs> uh, I've got a soft spot for it. But do you, do you keep buying it simply plus. because you've bought it on other formats? So therefore, it's, it's something that you can see the difference in. It's like your litmus test for kind of AV. Uh, well, I do have that with Apocalypse Now. I've owned that in too many formats. To do you call. like that film? I do love it as well. So yeah. I'm saying when, when it comes to a, a truly terrible film that you've already owned on a few formats, are you kind of almost like locked into the inevitability of you will buy it on a new format just to see because you, you know that so well? I don't yeah, think I I've got anything where that's the case. Thankfully, I've, I've not been locked into that. So I, I say I've had that problem with audio, but with film, no. I've only ever owned multiple copies of films I actually sort of like. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought, I do that with Transformers. I'm not Transformers, with Terminator 2, um, which in fairness isn't a terrible film, but it's not like my favourite film. But I have owned that on, on every single conceivable video format yeah, you can imagine. Yeah. yeah, I have as well. That and probably Jurassic Park are the two which I think I've had on every single film, and Star Wars original trilogy. Um but again, I don't June. hate I've, watching I've had Jurassic June on Park. a lot of formats as well. Say again. I don't hate watching Jurassic Park, though. I, I, it's not no, something no, no, I'd, I'd want to watch week in, week out. No, no, but it's, I still, it's a classic. Still, yeah, it's like a cracker. Yeah. I watched I mean, the VHS the other day, so, you know. You what? I watched a VHS the other day. Watched it do of what? Of a film. <laughs> I, I found an old film that I just thought, oh, yeah, I, I want to see what it's like. And I watched it on an old CRT. And to be honest, I got into it. I didn't mind it. Oh, Where did you find a CRT and a VHS player? Yeah, uh, I, I went down. I went down to stay with family and my old kind of childhood <laughs> we went back bedroom. Nineteen eighty four. No, no. I'll tell you, this is the thing though. If you like certain foreign films, you are all, no. If you like certain foreign films, you are always one generation behind with kind of the quality and you know the format. So and like there are some Hong Kong VHS films. Is more than one generation behind. No, no, no. I know. I've just never bothered buying the DVD <laughs> because that itself is still going for about twenty quid, and the Blu-ray itself would cost me, you know, a lot more. And so there are certain films where you least... say they've never made the jump in quality. You know, like the Blu-rays are literally they look upscaled DVDs themselves. What was the film you watched? I watched. Uh, there was a kung fu film called uh, Warriors Two, <laughs> made by Sammo Hung. And I don't care. I enjoyed it. Good for Good you. Good for you. Mm. <laughs> That's the end of that anecdote. <laughs> yeah, the problem is that, that I mean, as I say, r r vintage cinephile stuff, it just does you know, ultimately, vinyl kind of holds up because of, A, there haven't been the same jumps in, in audio quality. Your ears are a fixed a fixed quantity. And so that that's fine. And there's there's, you know, a huge amount of media to choose from. I can't see there being a sort of, Key. I mean, I'm sure there is a, a, a VHS Appreciation Society, but I, I can't see it, you know, pushing for many new releases of, of, of current films. I mean, do, do, do new films get a VHS release for some horrifying corner of the no. world that hasn't bothered with it? No. 
They stop I bet they do. VHS I bet you do. Actually, I bet you get it. Some kind of knockoffs in Cuba or something like that. Fair enough. I don't think any people even make the tapes anymore. It just doesn't exist as a format. So all those ones I found, I can flog to someone. <laughs> Take to the third <laughs> yeah. world. Uh, you can probably find some lunatic on the classifieds or buy it off you. <laughs> but I mean, this is where it gets into because um, obviously uh, I was decidedly wondering this the other day. I was doing doing the standard input tally for this Yamaha 3040 and it's got eight HDMI inputs and then enough legacy connections to keep another sort of four or five devices happy. And it sort of gets to the point of just just what are you connecting to it? I mean, I know Hodge has got his 78 little little boxes from various tests that so he could in theory have them all running side by side. But I, I think he counts as an outlier on this one. So... Yeah, I don't know what people are finding to. I mean, if you if you are listening to this and you have eight HDMI sources, please do get in touch and right, tell, tell us what the hell you are. They are. If you're a gamer, I reckon I you, could fill that up. Yeah, yeah, a gamer. Anyone that keeps all the consoles will will, will probably have eight, won't they? Easily. <laughs> Wii U. Yeah. yeah, but hang on a second. All the consoles. That's fair enough. But they're not all HDMI capable. You're only going back to the last generation for HDMI. No, all right, fine. Uh, I stick in. I'd stick in HTPC. Um, PS4, PS3, Xbox 360, um, Xbox One, that's five thus far. A uh, Wii U. Um, Blu-ray Wii, player. Yeah, Blu-ray player. <laughs> yeah, still got a DVD. Still, yeah, sticking it. Something like that. That would take me up to eight. Fair enough. I, st- I, I stand corrected, <laughs> said the man in the orthopedic shoe. <laughs> I've, I've just reviewed an Optima projector that dropped one. Normally projectors have two HDMI inputs. This one had dropped one in favour of... Um, a VGA input, which is fairly unusual these days, a DVI input, which is really unusual these days, and an S-video input, which awesome. sure no one's using. So I'm not quite sure who exactly Optimo are aiming that one at. Actually, it must be said, a lot of, um, most AV receivers now have no S-video connectivity, which if you no. are a full-on retro console enthusiast, is a bit of a pain in the ass because they were anything with a US sort of, bent to it was was always set up primarily for s video so yeah that's actually quite annoying but um oh it must be for somebody somewhere but right this brings us back to kind of what we were talking about at at the top of the podcast about avrs and adding all these new sound formats whereas actually i think the avr needs a total redesign from the top to the bottom well yes it's part there's an element of that um but the problem is We've just we've had this discussion, for, and and there's 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 elements of what that should redesign should be. The biggest problem is that anything truly radical, Phil, means that you are chopping everything, and that limits your customer base to to the truly bold who feel that it's going to be the way forward. And we are an, in, an inherently conservative industry, um, and and you can watch this as we're just you know chasing an ever smaller number of customers with ever ritzier versions of the same bot. I think consumers would be less uh, would be more inclined to buy an AVR if it was less intimidating. When you look at the back, yeah, back totally. panels and those things, they're insanely complex. Yeah, we've, we've, obviously we've had this conversation before, but yeah, totally. It needs redesigning, it needs rethinking and rather than, you know, you said earlier, Ed, um, speaker manufacturers need to think out of the box. I think AVR manufacturers need to start thinking out of the box in terms of design, flexibility, usability. and Quite literally out of their box. <laughs> yeah, totally, mm. totally. Um, otherwise, that market is just going to dwindle away. Because 
you know, I know people who in the past have been absolute major uh, AV nuts um, and we'd spend a fortune on, on the biggest Denon um, or Pioneer that could get their hands on. Five speakers, four subwoofers, all the rest of it. Um, the family comes along, um, they start having kids and so on and that Meridian system or whatever it was that, that the, the dreamed about and had all set up, it suddenly turns into a soundbar. <laughs> well, I mean, there's another... It, it has to be said, obviously... Uh, I recently reviewed, and it's it's up, and you know you can read it. That that name Muso thing. He ha- I have to say that there was a, a point where uh, I was watching my son busily trying to tear the volume knob off one of the amplifiers, <laughs> and I was thinking, God, actually, this does make a huge amount of sense because he can't reach any of the controls on it, and it just sits there, and it sounds pretty damn good. And it's entirely self-contained. Yep. And then I then I slapped myself about a bit and had a beer <laughs> and I felt better. But no, I, I know I know what you're saying. And there is that you know occasionally we get disparaging at how uh, one box stuff is is just eating away progressively at more bespoke solutions. But there's no arguing with the fact that the one box stuff is getting an awful lot better, and it just has a so much more basic showroom appeal. Yeah, totally. More lifestyle, and uh, you know that's the way everything's moving these days. And and maybe it's a sign of te- maybe you know another ten years or whatever we'll be back to having big boxes and loads of speakers in the living room. But I doubt it. No, we'll be beaming it straight into your head with a big spike like the Matrix by then. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. I look forward to having my spike socket fitted. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded wrong. Well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, I think that is it for this week. Um, I think we've 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 gone on enough, and uh, we've filled we, an hour. <laughs> we've filled an hour, <laughs> uh, and that is it for the AV Forums podcast this week. And don't forget, if you've got your Ask the Idiots questions, um, send them via Twitter at AV Forums, uh, or put them in the uh, feedback forum underneath this podcast, and we'll get round to them uh, next week. Uh, so I need to thank Steve Withers. A great day, comrades. We shall into history. Mark Hodgkinson. I was going to do that one. Uh, Greg, I, well, I'm going to do a Russian accent. Hang on a minute. I can't do it. Sorry, hang on a minute. We're going to kill a friend, Evgeny. We're going to kill Ramius. <laughs> Mark, but right. The officers and I will submerge beneath you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my head's silly. Let them shake. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark avforums.com for latest reviews, news and video, and why not leave us a rating on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again next Wednesday.